Just Go With It is a podcast hosted by two millennials who swear. And also, it's about horror films, so listener discretion is advised. We will put specific content warnings in the show notes. Boo. <laughs> We have guests. We have guests. Yes. We're starting from the beginning. I'm so excited. We have a guest for the poll thing. But we have Caroline Thompson. Hello. From Hello. How Have You Not Seen? Um, yes. Another great movie podcast. <laughs> I, I, I like to think so. It's, oh my God. I was just. I guess I'm a bit biased. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty on. I, I was just listening to the episode on The Others. <laughs> I, I laughed so hard. Carson was like, I don't watch scary movies because I'm a scared little doo-doo boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that was um that was like finally I don't know why we haven't done it like this in the past like we've we recently relaunched this year and we've always um like every year when we've gotten to Halloween we do a month like all of yeah, October yeah, yeah. with horror movies and every year we've done it it's been like I have two like classic horror movies that Carson has never seen and his whole thing is like he he has to stretch the definition of the term horror <laughs> so far. So this year we were like, "Fuck it!" Like I'm just picking, I'm just picking all of the Halloween movies, like all of the October movies. It's just me. Like we're gonna run Carson through the ringer because he just is not a horror fan, like which horror. is. <laughs> which is one of the few things we are not like simpatico on when it comes to film because I. <laughs> I, I like to think I am very much a horror fan, it's which so is good. like one of one of the reasons why I'm here today. I, and I'm really excited. And I don't remember. Did you choose this movie or did we already have it on the list? I think. I think so. I think it was like kind of a little bit of both. I think we were going back and forth and like we were talking about doing it in December. We're like looking at calendars. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, I am like, I am like a horror fan. Like I love to talk like, you know, any of the big classics. But I was like, if we're doing this around December, like. I've never seen Black Christmas. <gasps> you haven't seen it either? Oh, this was like the first time? This was my first time too. Yeah, this, oh, was, this was my was first time. All of our first yeah. time seeing it. Okay, I yes. thought I was one of the few. For some reason, I thought both of you had seen no. it. And I was like, I'm going to be was, like... <laughs> the first time no, I saw yeah. it. It was, it was one of those like big horror movies that I hadn't, haven't seen. And that's kind of the whole like pitch of my podcast right. <laughs> is like experiencing a new movie each week. So I was just like, you know what? Like maybe we can, let's get some synergy Look going. It. We accidentally know? did a crossover. I love this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah. Well, okay. So I haven't said it. We're doing Black Christmas. Oh, we're doing Black 1974. Christmas. 1974. Oh, yes. yes. Um, they clicked on the episode. They know. Yeah, they'll yes. figure it out. Um, but I, there are multiple. I, <laughs> when you messaged me and you were like, which one? I was like, there's more. There are three. I'm yes. so confused. Um, but apparently the person who wrote this one wrote the other ones. I Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so they must be similar. So, But they are remakes. They're not like sequels or anything. Oh. Um, yeah. yeah. But I only have a few facts, too. This was slightly hard to find like really good facts on. I wanted to see like how they made it, but I didn't find a ton. But I have some. So, originally, it was titled Silent Night, Evil Night in the <laughs> U.S., I'm sorry, that, I love that. that. ghost that came out of my heart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> so it was called Silent Night, Evil Night. <laughs> Kate loves it. Uh, it was made in 1974, produced and directed by Bob Clark. And here are some of the movies he did. Uh, we have Murder by Decree, uh, Tribute, Porky's, and then A Christmas Story. <laughs> oh, God. 
No way. Yeah. Seriously? Which I, okay, so this is one of the only fun, fun facts I have. But when I told my coworker that we were doing Black Christmas, he was like, oh, I've got a great fact. And I was like, tell me about it. So he told, he told me, he's like, well, the director also did Christmas Story. And he said, you can see the influence in Christmas Story in that one moment where Ralphie goes down the slide after he meets Santa. And he goes, and it just gets way too scary, like way scarier than it should be. And he goes, and no, that's definitely. when I knew. <laughs> So yeah, that's true. I have same seen, director. <laughs> I've seen a Christmas story no less than a dozen times because it does a loop it's on a, Christmas. Oh my god, it's on forever. And right, right. You have to watch it at least three times. You know, that's <laughs> just the way it works. Three in our household. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so oh I, god. I can picture that scene so vividly, and I remember thinking, "This is scary." Well, <laughs> like, this is weird. There's a reason. <laughs> Apparently, Bob Clark was like, "I want to do a bunch of scary movies, and then Porky's, and then a Christmas story." <laughs> And I think that's great. Um, <laughs> I think that's very sexy. I don't know who it is. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> uh, it was also written by A. Roy Moore. Uh, it sounds like I'm saying a Roy Moore, but mm. it says A. Roy Moore. Uh, also wrote all the Black Christmas remakes, I think. I don't know if it was mm. all of them, but I know he at least wrote one, I think, in 2019. Uh, and then, that's very cool. That's very yeah, cool. Yeah, and I'm glad that it was him yeah. still, because he clearly wrote this one, so he knows what he's doing. <laughs> He's familiar. Um, he la- also did The Last Chase, a movie called Riel, and She Cried Murder. Mm. I have not seen any of them, but they were all apparently quite good because it said they were like great movies. And I was like, I trust you. <laughs> uh, cinematography was Reginald H. Morris. Uh, also did King of the Grizzlies, uh, Second Win, The Food of the Gods, Shadow of the Hawk, Welcome to Blood City, <laughs> Murder by Decree, Ooh. again, which he won actually uh, a big award for cinematography for that huh. one. So it must be quite lovely. Uh, and also did many others. And like a few things on like TV that were like TV movies. Um, this is where it gets kind of fun. The music was uh, Carl Zittrer. He did New Jack City, Moonstruck, Murder by Decree, again. Again, Porky's and Porky's 2, Prom Night, A Christmas Story, and then a movie called Blood Orgy of the She-Devils. <laughs> oh, very You cool. mean the movie we're doing next? <laughs> uh, now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that they all came back for Murder by Decree. Yeah. It yeah. was like one of them is just like, let's get the band back together yeah. because it's like. Yeah. Anytime you have a movie that's like a kind of cult classic, mm. it seems like they stick together a lot. Yeah. Because like, what was it? Bruce, Evil Dead. They, they Bruce all. Bruce like, Campbell and Raimi. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Raimi's crew. Yeah. All really stuck together. Yeah. Um, and so like this one, it looks like the, the real big through line seems to be Murder by Decree and Porky's. So for some reason, they Porky's. all really. <laughs> I never thought Porky's would be the through line here. I, yeah. You, you'd be surprised. Well, I am <laughs> and a Christmas story. Um, and also the last thing. So the budget was mm. only 620000 It mm. It did not need a lot, apparently. So that was great. No, yeah. Um, but do you, either of you have a guess at what it made? And I don't know if this is in the U.S., Canada, or both. I just know that this is what the budget is listed as. Not budget, or, like, how much it made. Um, right. Okay, so I know that it wasn't super well-received, and it was also Canadian. And so that takes extra effort to get money in the U.S. I'm going to go 50000 All right. Caroline, I guess. Oh, oh so you're, you're guessing that it, like, bombed. <laughs> In the, uh, I'm get, I know it became a cult classic since then, but I'm thinking that like when it right. came out, it probably made like fifty thousand, and since it has developed a um, faithful following. Fair enough. And Nikki, you said it was it cost like five hundred thousand. Uh, Six hundred twenty thousand. Oh, I guess low. Six hundred and twenty. <laughs> I guess very low. So, 
I'm going to go ahead and say that it doubled its budget, and I'll just go uh, 1.2 million. Woo! Okay, so we have a savant. I'll just say it doubled. It was... you know, that's, that's not a huge, no, that's not a huge you... for a movie this small. That's not like a like a major feat. That's kind of what you hope right. for. I think I just remember when one of the movies bombed and I it was did not... bomb we had a few that bombed bad but this one actually did almost exactly what you said it made 4.1 million <laughs> shit so oh, wow. okay it did cool. even Damn. a little bit better <laughs> okay wow. um yeah and also the last fun fact i had is that this one even though i think we talked about halloween this one apparently is considered one of the earliest slasher films mm-hmm. and apparently like inspired halloween a little bit yes yeah so yes. yeah that's that's something that like I definitely thought we would talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially, especially like that intro. Like the intro to this movie is like almost identical to Carpenter's Halloween, (laughs) and it was one of those things too, where like I, I was stunned because I was like, wait a second, like that opening from Halloween is so iconic, Mm -hmm. and like people. Like, people cite Halloween, like, oh, from from the fucking opening. Am I allowed to say fuck? Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) Fuck no. Okay, great. (laughs) Fuck out. (laughs) Uh, But people are just, like, from that fucking opening, like, it, 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 like, cements its iconic status. And then I was watching this movie, and I was like, okay, we're opening from outside the house, Mm -hmm. very similar to Halloween. And then, like, it just moves around, and it's, like, from the, like, the POV of the killer. And I'm like, I'm like, is this Halloween? I was like... (laughs) I was like, this was like, this came out four years before yeah, Halloween did. Like, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, I, I I, remember when it started, I was like, now hold on. <laughs> I was like, this feels so familiar. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I wrote that down in my notes where I was like, this had to be similar to Halloween. And then I read that it like inspired it. And I was like, oh, thank God I wasn't losing my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, am I going to look right, like an yeah. asp? I'm like, I'm getting a lot of boss baby vibes. I didn't want to be that guy. So <laughs> I, uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Back when we covered a bunch of like, classic slashers Mm -hmm. we talked about like the classical period of slashers and uh this one is often overlooked in terms of introducing a lot of the themes it's interesting and i get into that with tropes oh good okay because i wondered because we haven't talked about this movie specifically too much but i was like it's clearly quite important because yeah right um and and that's something that i was thinking too while watching it because like that opening is so very much like classic slasher so i was like i was like oh my god this is like such an og like slasher film like i did not realize that and then you get about halfway through and there's not really any more murders and so i was like oh okay i guess like it inspired slasher but like I guess it is more of like a murder mystery kind of thing. But then that back half is just like people getting picked oh. off left and right. I'm like, no, it's back to slasher. Mm-hmm. Like, this is actually it, insane. It a lot. Hold on. My cat is shouting. Hey, Miso, you're fine. Miso. She's like, how dare you tell me she how She really wants to jump up here and I'm not having it. There's so many chords. Um, but yeah, I oh, this movie, we talked about this also right before we started. And I was like, I think I liked it. But I also am... I'm not sure. It confused me so much. And I think it's... Right. It could just be that it was, like you said, supposed to. So maybe there's a reason. And we'll get to it when we do horror, because we still have my horrible summary in the nerd corner. But um, <laughs> my, my, I, I'm supposed to do my one-sentence summary, and it, they're always horrible and so bad. Um, okay. S- sorority house has a terrible Christmas. <laughs> well you're not wrong yeah yeah like that's yeah i don't think that's i don't think that's bad at all (laughs) pithy it's it's you know vague but i mean this movie's a bit vague i really truly the whole time say something so accurate was so confused i was like who is in the we'll get to it (laughs) i have a lot of thoughts but i'm excited to hear a real summary rotten tomatoes says this 
As winter break begins, a group of sorority sisters, including Jess and the often inebriated Barb, begin to receive anonymous, lascivious voice calls. Phone calls. Don't know where voice came from. (laughs) Initially, Barb eggs the caller on, but stops when he responds threateningly. Soon, Barb's friend Claire goes missing from the sorority house, and a local adolescent girl is murdered, leading the girls to suspect a serial killer is on the loose. But no one realizes just how near the culprit is. I have some qualms with this. Okay. (laughs) First of all, Claire is hardly Barb's friend. Barb is brutal to Claire. Jess is probably Claire's closest friend. Is that curly hair? No. Who is Jess? Jess is straight hair. Okay. The one with the accent that's pregnant. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And then Barb doesn't stop when he responds threateningly. He just hangs up. So, like, she didn't have a choice but to stop egging him on because he was no longer on the line. When you said she stops, I'm like, does she? Because it seems like she was just not... <laughs> I, okay, Barb was the worst, but I also loved Barb. I knew, I knew this is what... I knew we would have this conversation. Yeah. I thought Barb was yeah. great. Honestly, I was I was stunned that Lois Lane was getting so so vulgar right? on <laughs> I mean, like, I obviously know that this was before, but it was just like, it was such a... You know, it was it was such like a like a weird dissonant moment because I'm like, I'm like, I know that you are not in that movie, but like, right? you are... Like, it is crazy to see you, like, always with a drink in your hand, like, swearing she... and being, like, super rude to these people. And, like, I was like, that's so mean. alcohol to children? When did she give the alcohol right. to the Christmas party right. where right. one of the dudes is dressed up as Santa and just cussing up a storm. Like, has a kid on his lap and he's like, fuck this. And then Barb is talking to the worried father and she keeps giving a kid <laughs> liquor Barb, or wine. No. And it's like, oh, right. fucker schnozzle or whatever. And I was just like... You can't do that. I clearly missed. <laughs> I was Team Barb, and now I'm like, well, I don't know, <laughs> maybe not. Did you see her in like very important turtle fucking monologue? Oh, I loved it. That's why okay, I love good, Barb. Good. Okay, okay, okay. I just want to make sure you got like passionate about Barb. animals. Yeah. Um. Okay, but now I'm excited because it's time for Nerd Corner, and <laughs> I, I kind of you told me a little bit about what you're doing, yeah. so I'm excited. Okay. I want to start by telling you a story. The most appropriate time to tell this story is at a slumber party around 10 p.m. when everyone is insisting (laughs) that they're not tired. Oh, but I am. I know. Someone (laughs) at this party has already fallen asleep, but it's fine because she doesn't like scary stories anyway, so it's all good. 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 Anyway, the Zoom call will have to be our slumber party. I love it. (laughs) So let's set the scene. Sold. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I was like, it should be an easy ask to say, let's pretend this is a slumber party. (laughs) Okay, so. Killing it. It is the 1960s. Mm-hmm. The president is either JFK or Lyndon B. Johnson. Depends on when the 60s. <laughs> this is very loose scene setting. God, this is good. <laughs> Picture a nuclear family in a nice little suburb. The parents want a night out, so they hire a babysitter. Hire is probably a generous telling because babysitters are notoriously poorly paid, and I yeah. imagine it wasn't much better in the 60s than it is now. It's not good now. Anyway, <laughs> the parents are out for the night. Maybe a dinner party. That sounds nice and appropriately middle class. So anyway, it should be pretty simple. The children are already asleep. She just has to make sure everything is fine until the parents get home. Then she gets a phone call. It's a little weird. She's there, but she feels weird picking up the phone in someone else's house. But maybe it's the parents. Maybe they're saying that they will be home early or they'll be home late. Maybe they have something important to tell her. So she picks up the phone. She hesitates just a second before saying, Hello? <laughs> From Hello? The- <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Says it just it's like me, that. Barbie. <laughs> From the other end of the line is just laughter. And then, have you checked on the children? I hate it. (laughs) She rolls her eyes and hangs up. She's a teenager. She knows what prank calls are. She flips through a magazine or knits or something. I don't know what she does. The phone (laughs) rings again. 
She doesn't really want to answer it, but she has a sacred duty. She's a babysitter. So she picks she it took up. an oath. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very serious oath. Did you not read the Babysitter's Club? I didn't. I don't, I don't know what it's about. I love the Babysitter's Club. <laughs> so she picks up the phone. She hears that laughing again. Is it hysterical? No, it's maniacal. Then again, the words among the laughter. Have you checked on the children? Did she, though? She knows some prank callers are persistent, but this feels off. It feels yeah, this wrong. does not feel like a prank. I feel like like, yeah. like I was not I was not a like an avid babysitter no. like as a teen, but like I certainly did it a few times. And like if I thought a kid like was even like even in the next room just a little upset, I would start freaking out. Uh, so if someone like, called and said, "Have you checked the children?" I'd be like, "Hold on, absolutely." Right, that's very threatening. <laughs> okay, so yeah, now she says it feels off. I'm yeah, ready. Yeah, two calls, two calls. She's like, it feels wrong, so she calls the operator. Right. Uh, first because, one's a freebie. Yeah. The first one, you get yeah. one. <laughs> She's like, oh, you're persistent. No, no, that's it. Two strikes. So as we know from Annabelle, 911 wasn't widespread until the 80s, so she does not call 911 because it likely does not exist in her area yet. She calls the operator. I know how that works. She hurriedly explains the call she's received, and the operator, who I imagine to be a woman in her 50s that's very, like, wizened and named Madge, <laughs> takes... I love her. <laughs> Madge is great. You can't be mad at Madge. No. So Madge takes the frightened teen seriously. She tells her she's going to call the police, and she'll send them to her location, and if the caller phones again, keep them on the line as long as possible. They want to trace that motherfucker. Madge <laughs> does not say that she is a woman of God. <laughs> Classic Madge. <laughs> the teen agrees to this and hangs up the phone just waiting and then it rings again she picks up feverishly just to get it over with no she hates the tension of the anticipation don't answer it the words again have you checked on the children has she though no she's too busy answering the phone she doesn't even know what she's saying but words are coming out of her mouth she's desperate to keep this person on the line she wants to do madge proud and maybe if she keeps talking she won't have to hear his laugh anymore he must have been wise to her ploy though and he hangs up the teen had barely replaced the phone on its hook when it rang again. She answered it, expected that damn laugh again, but it's Madge, composed <gasps> but insistent. Get out of the house right away. The call is coming from inside the house. Because she should have checked the kids! <laughs> the girl, I, listen. <laughs> the teenage girl runs from the house, nearly into the arms of the police who had arrived just in time. With her safely outside, they run upstairs <gasps> to find a man with a knife. Unfortunately, it is too late for the children, but the teenage babysitter survived. All she had to do was check on him. <laughs> Everyone's heard the story, yeah. right? Yeah, I yeah. know the story. <laughs> I assumed they were dead before yeah. he made that first you should, call. You should absolutely assume the children are dead. Here's the thing. I didn't. So the whole time I was like, when's she going to go check on When's she going to check on the children? So, I, feel, uh, I feel so mistaken and sad. Well, okay. This was like a slumber party classic, but it has yeah. a lot of different tellings. So in some forms, it's... Uh, God, like two babysitters in some, there are three kids that die in some, right. like the babysitter also dies. Sometimes the stranger says something else. So it changes, but that's because it's an urban legend that has been around since the 60s. Woo. Yeah, they trace it back to as early as the 60s, potentially earlier, and it's potentially inspired by an unsolved murder of a teenage babysitter from the 50s. Oh. That is pretty gruesome. I'm not covering it. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> this isn't a true crime podcast. <laughs> One time we covered a murderer. Never again. Never. <laughs> we dipped our toes and it was enough. <laughs> it was enough cold. So, you know, it's an urban legend. It's shifted over time. But one thing does always stay the same. The phone call is coming from inside the house. That was the inspiration for Black Christmas. Really? Oh. That urban legend? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he says oh. that, well, okay. It's more accurate to say that this was most of the inspiration for Black Christmas. 
Uh, the other bit is mostly rumored and hypothesized. Uh, and that's the murder in Montreal, maybe in Canada. There was a murder in Canada that potentially also inspired this, but it's very much like people guessing as they're pretty good at doing. Seems like it. (laughs) Yeah. But the director did say like, this was inspired by that tale. Like I heard it as a kid or like I heard it as an adult. I don't know how old he is, but I heard that story and it stuck with me and I wanted to build on that. Yeah. And I want to dig in a little bit to urban legends slash contemporary folklore slash contemporary legends. There are a lot of different names for it. Um, People kind of disagree on what to call it because urban wasn't supposed to mean like it takes place in the city or anything. It just meant that it's contemporary. Yeah. And so some folklorists are like, we're going to call it contemporary folklore because it's not like urban is no longer capturing the word we wanted because it's not about like inner city by any means. That meow. (laughs) Um, so I want to dig a little bit into urban legends and how that influenced this movie and mm-hmm. what that means. Yeah. So there are many different opinions across folklorists when it comes to the definition or essential elements of an urban legend. Brunvard, I should have Ooh. looked up how to say that name, a renowned folklorist, says that urban legends at their core must have, quote, a strong basic story appeal, a foundation in actual belief, and a meaningful message or moral. An article from the BBC, which cites several folklorists, says that there are four elements that help cement contemporary folklore tales. They're minimally counterintuitive, they evoke disgust, <laughs> yeah. they usually have a social connection, and they involve a survival element. Huh. Minimally counterintuitive, because that's a lot of words, a lot of syllables, two words, uh, are basically where it's something that combines the familiar and the strange, but not too much strange. So it has to be strange enough that it unnerves you, but not enough that it's unbelievable. So that's, that's true. what they mean by that. Getting three phone calls would unnerve me. Mm, so. Yeah. Getting one phone <laughs> Clearly call. Clearly not a millennial. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Having to talk on the phone, period, let oh, no. alone three I, times to a Three murderer. times? No. No. At that point, I guess I also probably would, the kids would have died because I just wouldn't have answered. No. <laughs> they I would have s- been like, excuse me? <laughs> if I got that phone call, I would see my area code and know, yeah, oh, yeah. it's a fishing call. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah, I can't. Oi. Yeah, so the article that kind of has the four elements that like cement it into the canon, it gets into really fascinating ways that the internet can impact or has already impacted those core elements. Mm -hmm. So like social elements can make things more memorable, but don't actually make people more likely to pass it along. And what changes when it's not told orally, but written on a screen. And I don't have time to fully get into that, but suffice it to say, it'll be in the extended show notes. And it's really cool to hear about how storytelling, like uh, what used to be just like, orally told stories can operate differently now yeah that everything's online so they look at slender man as a case study oh we talked about that when we did blair witch right mm-hmm. yeah we talked about creepy pasta with blair witch that was it yeah yeah, yeah. so Spooky. despite all the different definitions everyone agrees however that they must be culturally relevant some contemporary folklore tales fade away as they become obsolete or outdated mm-hmm. others do adapt to the times cell phones can undo some plots but not all Oh, yeah. yeah, and part of the cultural relevance is tied into the present anxieties and norms. So many urban legends can function as cautionary tales or morality tales, and I personally think that there's a lot of overlap in these, but I still will give like set- separate definitions. Yeah. So a cautionary tale has three major elements. The statement of the taboo or forbidden act or place, whatever, mm-hmm. the transgression, and the punishment. The punishment. The punishment. That's <laughs> ominous. Yeah, well, <laughs> I was going to say, like, the outcome, but it's a cautionary tale, so it's a punishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair, fair, fair. And a moral tale is similarly similarly basic. So people in the story who do good things have good things happen to them. Mm-hmm. People who do bad things have bad things happen to them. 
basically, Fair. the moral of the story is do good things. So some folks say that a cautionary tale gives you an example of what not to do and shows the consequences of doing that, while yeah. a morality tale shows you what you should do. Again, it's one of those things that feels kind of wishy-washy based on the research that I did. There's a lot more out there. I'm sure there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> I would love to dig deep into like folklorists. Didn't have the time. But Noodle? Noodle has a <laughs> lot to screaming. say. screaming. He's like, I have opinions on folklore. I think that you're misrepresenting this. Honestly, he probably does. I don't know what he does in his spare time. You don't know. So I think it's interesting, despite you know the difference mm-hmm. or not like the similarities between cautionary tales and morality tales, I think it's kind of interesting to take a story and like turn it over in your hands and look at both of these things. Like what is it warning me not to do? And what is it telling me that I should do? And then what happens when we take a cautionary tale or a moral tale and we turn it into a horror movie where the originally vilified characters get depth, nuance, and the general protagonist treatment? Can we turn it into something that rightly positions societal oppression as the villain instead of the girl who didn't bet down to patriarchal norms being the villain? Yeah. And what's the impact when a morality tale is flipped on its head? Instead of putting teen girls in their place, it instead forces us to watch the many forms of violence perpetrated against women. Oh, yeah. Instead of the classical era slasher, which this jump started arguably, Mm -hmm. uh, the classical era slasher punishes women for sex in a fairly linear fashion. The virgin dies here first. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This one definitely bucks that trend. Yeah. But we'll get into that, how it's not actually bucking a trend. It's just... Oh, we'll get into it. I'll wait. But uh, the child is actually probably the first one to die. But regardless, innocence falls first in this mm-hmm. story. And Jess, the final girl, unapologetically wants to get an abortion. In later slashers of the period, she would have gotten the villain treatment. She would have died first. Yeah. And Definitely. Yeah. But Ugh. then we get to another question. One that I'm just kind of interested in considering, but not too seriously. Mm-hmm. Is it still subversive if, ultimately, she suffers? Because to me, Black Christmas isn't just a stalker thriller slasher movie. It's also a tour through the lives of women and the numerous forms of violence men perpetrate. And that's very much like on the binary because this movie is on the binary. But that is not reflective of how the world actually operates. Like transmisogyny, all those things. Uh, But if we look through the movie, we have Nash, the police officer that won't take their fear or concern seriously. That guy sucks. (laughs) I hate that guy. (laughs) We have Peter, who is downright terrifying in his determination to control Jess and her reproductive choices. Then there's Billy, who murders them. So we have a range of abusive, or a range of behaviors from gaslighting and neglect to physical violence. So I, personally, am inclined to read this as a tableau of patriarchal violence that forces the viewer to bear witness. Yeah. But there are some folks that argue that slashes in general, like basically if a marginalized person ultimately dies then it functions as a cautionary tale or a kind of outlet for societal du- judgment and it's ultimately not subversive but instead maintains the status quo and huh. then there are also the dialogues on like the utility and harms of trauma porn where it's like i'm gonna make you watch right. how much it sucks to be me and it's like okay well we shouldn't have to role play our trauma for you or yeah. other people showcasing trauma they've never experienced there's a lot of stuff there yeah personally my read is that this movie was subversive for its time yeah. and is still hauntingly relevant. So if we want to look at just one facet of the movie, abortion rates. So I had to do Googling because I don't know shit about Canada. Uh, so Fair. apparently <laughs> I don't either. in Canada, abortion was illegal in all cases until 1969. Oh. Yeah. From 69 to 88, it was only legal if a panel of doctors agreed that continuing the pregnancy threatened the life of the pregnant person. A panel? Oh, Oh, yeah. And guess wow. what gender all of those doctors would be? No. 
women are too you know, sensitive. I, I, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say probably men. That's a really bold guess. That's a bold guess. <laughs> I think you need some like facts to back that up. <laughs> I mean, like, I, mean I do want to be the first to say hashtag not all men. Oh my god. <laughs> That's our no context quote. No, I can't. Is that the poll quote for uh, the yeah. Twitter advertising? <laughs> Someone's gonna take it serious and be like, "Wow, this took a real turn." Yeah. <laughs> I wow, a panel really threw me because oh, like I understand yeah. one disgusting man doctor being like, "No, no, no," but a whole panel being like, "Actually, we've talked it over." <laughs> they had to, no. Like me and the other Mr. Smiths have agreed. <laughs> <laughs> me and my white man friends have yeah. all thought about it. No. We think no, thank you. Oh, uh, no. So, in 1988, a case in the Canadian Supreme Court found, quote, forcing woman by threat of criminal sanction to carry a fetus to term unless she meets certain criteria unrelated to her own priorities and aspirations is a profound interference with the woman's body oh, and thus a violation of that. security of the person. So, 88 was when they were like, okay, well, what we said before was really fucked up, right? We can all agree <laughs> that it was fucked up. Or bad on that one, guys. Oops. It only took, like, two decades. Um, and so, I feel like when I was reading, they said that there are still laws on the books outlawing abortion, but they're considered to be unconstitutional and therefore unenforceable. So they still exist, but no one uses them. I don't know how the law works. Anyway, the timeline in the U.S. was slightly different. So mm-hmm. Roe v. Wade, which just vaguely struck down specific abortion bans, yeah. was decided in 73. It was still restrictive until 92 when Planned Parenthood versus Casey was decided. That decision got rid of the third trimester rules and a lot of the scrutiny standards. So if we have the timelines, Mm -hmm. 69 and 74 are when just like the bare minimum Mm -hmm. legally was achieved in both uh, countries. Right. So this movie was released in 74. That's only one year after Roe v. Wade and five years after the Canadian Supreme Court case that allowed for some abortions. Just some. Yeah. So a movie having the protagonist decide that she wants an abortion and the antagonist being a controlling man trying to stop her. A big fucking deal for the time. I'm, I'm surprised, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and as we know, abortion laws and rights and access have been under attack since Roe v. Wade. They have never not been under attack in term, if we're looking at our yeah, constitution. Yeah. It's not, but whatever. Uh, I could get into all of, like the trap laws and state-by-state laws, but the TLDR is that the movie stayed relevant in ways that I wish it wouldn't. <laughs> oh, Definitely. Yeah. Hot damn. Yeah, so I think it's really interesting when we look at what it was doing at the time and then say, what if we take an urban legend that usually functions as a cautionary tale to tell women right. to stay in their lane and we instead say, look at what happens because of what we've done to marginalize people over the years. She, oh my God. So oh, yeah, God. that's society, which is a horror. That is a horror. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, that's scarier than like, <laughs> I don't know. Yikes. I uh, I mean, I was really surprised when I watched the movie and found out that the one girl was getting an abortion. I was like, really? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. And um, I also was not surprised then when her boyfriend destroyed the piano. What the right. fuck? <laughs> I have a note about that. Do you? Uh, I said, what is it? The masculine urge to break things when something doesn't go your way. Oh, God. Yeah. It it was so <sighs> unnecessary and, like... <laughs> 
when he was playing the piano, I don't know anything about music. He was playing it and I had no idea if it was like good or he was just bad. And I was like, I don't know. He's yeah, going to be it was, so It was pretty bad. Yeah, okay. it was very bad. Thank you. I said he either is yeah. like tanking it or he's a bad composer. I was like, there are two I, options I couldn't here. tell because I don't know anything about. One time I went to a band concert and I was like, leaned over to my friend in high school and I went, they're not very good. Turns out they were tuning their instruments. So I truly don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. That's really you. funny. That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> so when he was playing, I was like, maybe. So yeah, when he destroyed the piano, I was like, classic. Yeah. Oi. Uh. Wow, that was interesting. Yeah. I I liked the uh, spooky beginning with yeah. the good story. That was lovely. Yeah. I was. <laughs> I didn't want to do like a literal read of the story, and I was like, how can I make this mine? <laughs> a sleepover. Match. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, no, and I mean, I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because especially the fact that this was a one year after Row um, was something that like I definitely came prepared to talk about mm. um, because it is that thing where it's like obviously Row is United States and mm-hmm. obviously this movie is in Canada, but like what happens in the U.S. becomes you know world news yeah. um, <laughs> for better or for worse. That's how it is. Right? So <laughs> it would have clearly been on everybody's mind, and the fact that like. You know, I, I'm not sure an exact timeline of production on the film, but the fact that, like, um, this movie came out in 74 means that it was either shot before oh. Roe was decided or, like, super shortly after. So yeah. it would have been, like, extremely relevant at the time, which is, like, like you said, like, extremely kind of, like, transgressive and subversive for 1974 to be, like... To have a, a woman who is like, well, I'm getting an abortion and it's not like, it's not like a trauma thing. It's not like yeah. her, you know, it, it's, it's not stemming from any like deep seated horrible reason other than she just wants to get one. Yep. And she is our protagonist and her shitty boyfriend who goes through like textbook, like, like straight up like textbook, like abuse tactics yep. to stop her is at least one of the bad guys in the oh, movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's like even considered what to possibly be the killer at a certain point too. So oh, like yeah. the there cops you go. <laughs> for sure like think that he is the killer because they're like, "Oh yeah, you know, you wanted to kill his baby." And like, all that. yeah, it's fucked up. At a certain point, I thought he was a killer too, mostly just cuz he smashed that piano and I was like, "What else could he smash?" Yeah. I just don't trust him. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like he can't be the killer cuz he's too obvious. That's true. I was also like, no, they could I, be tricking me. I said the same exact thing. I was watching this with my partner and like after his like, after like the second scene with him where he was like just the worst person to ever exist. (laughs) I was like, I I said out loud, I was like, okay, so it's not him because it's, we're clearly supposed to think and or suspect that it's him. So like, it's it's not him, right? Like that's clearly what it's got to be because it is so textbook. Like this guy is an abusive asshole. So yeah. I was like, okay, cool. So it's not him. But then towards the end, I came back around and I was like, well, shit. Like it, it could be him. Um, <laughs> I'm having flashbacks to when we did uh, the whaling. <laughs> we did the whaling, and that was our our first guest. And also, there is like that similar tension where it's like this person is so suspicious, so suspicious, and you're supposed to be like it's definitely not him and the whole time I was like it's him I knew it and Kate and Robbie our guests were like no (laughs) and they kept being like if you assume it's him that's really shitty because he's just a stranger and I was like we did not say that before we knew what you were (laughs) but I similarly I did the same thing in this where I was like probably him right like (laughs) I just I I really went with my gut and I was just like it's got to be this guy he sucks but then, I don't know, they didn't show him enough. I don't know, it was weird. Mm. It's like, I, I didn't, he didn't get enough screen time and enough um, raging for me to be like, oh no. 
God, even listening Ugh. to him on the phone call, the very first phone call with him, where oh, she's he's like, he's just making everything about himself. And then yes. he was like, why are you playing games? Uh, this is so childish. Like, he's being just shitty. And she's trying to communicate like an adult. When he's like, like you are. know I have a recital. Yeah. And blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, boo-hoo. Yeah. I don't care. Like, <laughs> it's like, not her responsibility. From the first call, I did not like him. <laughs> from the time not. they met in person, I fucking hated him. And then half of my notes are about how much I hate him. No, definitely. <laughs> and it is it is straight up, like, it is, like, straight up textbook. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. Like, if you take, like, psychology 101, and mm-hmm. it's just, like, it's just, like, here's, like, here's very basic, like, yeah. interpersonal relationship like, abuse tactics. Man. It's just, no. like, he just, he just, like, goes down the checklist of Gross. all of them. Yeah, my... Like, violent against things in the room to prove that, like, you know, that they can hurt something. It's Ugh. not you, but Oof. it's something. And just, like, that controlling and making all the threats. Yeah, I was just, like, I was, like, okay, so this is textbook, which is one of the reasons why I was kind of like damn this is kind of impressive for 1974 because like on the one hand like it is true that like being abusive to your partner was still bad in the 70s and being abusive to your partner was still bad in the 50s and in the (laughs) 40s and you know 2000 years ago it still sucked but just like the fact that like you know this is really kind of on the cutting edge of like that being talked about in I guess this isn't popular media because it wasn't like super huge, but like being like at the forefront of a movie, I was kind of like, okay, damn, like to have it kind of go off a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) To have it be vilified, I think is interesting to like such an extreme, like, I don't know. Cause like, like you said, it's never been good, but it has unfortunately been kind of accepted for like a lot of that time. So to have that, and like usually it's done like cheeky in like old shows where they're like, I'm straight to the moon, I'm going to punch you. And you're like, no, no, no. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so to have it be like, yeah, exactly. this is a problem was great. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. So even though I'm not like, I don't know how I felt about this movie, whether I, I liked it or didn't like it, because I was a little lost for a lot of it. I still did love the main character Jess. and her whole storyline with that guy, because mostly it was one, impressive to see. And two, there's that great line where they, it's their first phone call, I think, where he's being shitty. And he's like, I love you. And she's like, I, I know. <laughs> and I was so happy. I know. Yes. I was like, Star Wars? Yeah. So that was great. I, I liked their whole dynamic. Just because like, the abortion, too, felt like it wasn't, wasn't forced upon her. I feel like sometimes if you get abortions in a story, it's like the man is making you do it type blah, blah, mm. blah. And no, she was just like, no, I just want it. And I really don't care. Yeah. So it was interesting. Even no matter how I felt about the horror or anything about it, it was still just a cutting edge movie that I was very, very surprised by. Yeah. (laughs) Two of the things I liked that they did was that they started off Peter not just like cartoonishly evil to Mm -hmm. be like, well, some men are like monsters, but most men are fine. It started off like the first phone call, like my previous job was at a rape crisis center. Mm -hmm. And so like, I am very familiar with, like, the research and the patterns and, like, all yeah, that stuff. Right. And so, like... Fun I... fact, me too. Hey! Fun fact, me too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My first year out of college, I interned with one for a year, oh, so... Yep. yep. So, it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, I might just pick up on that because I spent time right. in that field. But the first phone call was more... Um, not what's the word I'm looking for it was less obvious yeah and so it was kind of like under the radar but it's like something's wrong here and then it escalated over time and I liked that they did that Mm -hmm. because it wasn't just like oh look at this wild man that's an aberrant version of man like 
it wasn't basically like letting people off the hook saying like well he's just like unwell no it was a subtle incline it was very much like a definitely i didn't get what i wanted so now i'm mad like you know and he had like those controlling tendencies all along but like the trigger happened and then like right it was fully revealed and then the other thing that i like that they did was that they didn't have her give this overwrought like I need to do this because I have this hidden trauma in my past. Like yeah. she just, she wanted an abortion. It's what's best for her. Exactly. Yeah. And she doesn't have to justify it to anyone. And I love that shit. Yeah. I think, I think we were all very happy about that. Yeah. Because I was like, like yeah. yep. <laughs> Which is like why it feels so like, just so radical for 1974. Because mm-hmm. like, I mean, even today, like we frequently don't get, I mean, the thing is, is it's not even nuanced. It's like, I was going to say, we don't get like takes that are that nuanced, but it's, it's very cut and dry. It's yeah. very hard just being like, I don't want it. But like, um, most of the time, like even today, it is kind of like you mentioned, like it is like, oh, well, like I can't go through with this because like it was so like whatever, like whatever horrible thing it's happened to me or yeah. like, or, or like I'm going to get an abortion, but like, look how, you know, like look how traumatizing it is to go through this process. Yeah. And it's like, it was straight up. She's like, no, like I want to do it. Yeah. Like that's, that's that. And I was like, okay. Yeah. It was very surprising to have like one to like not make her a villain in wanting to have an abortion, but also just making like the abortion not be yeah. a bad thing. Yeah. Like, usually I feel like sometimes, even when they do in films, have a character wanting an abortion, they'll have them, like, so sad and devastated and make it, like you said, seem like such a traumatic event. And it's like, sometimes you just want one. And that's okay. Like, it's not, like, this horrible thing where it's like, oh, if you get one, you're never going to be the same. Like, no, they didn't do that. And that was interesting. I really... Yep. it It was so subtle. Not subtle, but it was so, like easy for her just like i don't want this kid that i almost didn't realize she was pregnant i was like watching it and i was like what's she mad about what's going on and i was like oh she's gonna get an abortion nice like because they didn't make it into this huge deal it was just like her being like no yeah so i was surprised (laughs) um yeah so is that that society i know i was like i want to talk about horror but that was also so (laughs) in the horror so it's kind of just a good segue yeah it's just like a very like but Smooth transition. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, like we said, I, I, this movie did confuse me. So I do have notes on horror, mm-hmm. but I'm really excited to see what you two thought even more. Cause usually I talk a lot during the segment where we talk about horror, but I just want to see what y'all thought. So that way maybe I can get my mind changed. Cause I was talking to Kate and I was getting very heated about how like I didn't enjoy the movie, but I don't think it's the movie's fault. I think it's my own brain. Just, I got lost. There were so many little pieces that I didn't know which one I was supposed to focus on. And so I was like, maybe Caroline and Kate will have some great takes and it will help me piece this movie together like a little puzzle. (laughs) Definitely. For sure. Want to hear Caroline's take first. Yeah. I want to like validate what you said about it being confusing because I feel like that's really intentional because. And I agree. Yeah. 100%. There's a lot that's left unknown where it's like you never actually see Billy you see his eye and you see like his profile in like a dim light but you never like so much of it is unknown on purpose and that is part of the horror because like there's the tension of the unknown right and then they also throw in a lot of unrelated things or things that could be related and that's what confused me I think it's the unrelated things because I wanted them to be related so I was like where's the line I was like how do I connect these things and then when I definitely I was like mad so (laughs) I'm hoping that maybe there's just things I missed and like I often do miss little 
pieces, especially if I'm trying to take notes. So it's possible that I just missed things that would have made this a lot more clear for me. So I'm excited. Um, yeah, I, I just want to hear everyone's thoughts on like how this was made in the horror and what made it so scary and loved because people love this movie. Apparently, Steve Martin went up to um, yeah. the uh, what's her name? The main Barb, not Barb. Oh. Uh, Jess. Jess. She went, he went up to Jess and he's like, I love your, you in this movie. And she assumed it was like this well-known one that she had been in. And he was like, oh, no, no, I mean Black Christmas. And she was like, like, oh. (laughs) So apparently it's very loved. And I am excited to find out why from people who probably enjoyed it a little more than I did. (laughs) This was my first time seeing it. Mm -hmm. So I too was a little confused at the end. Um, because my thing was, I thought I had missed something. Um, because, like, obviously, like, my read on the end is oh, oh, no. um, she kills uh, the boyfriend. I think his name was Peter, yes. right? Um, yes. She kills him. And then the implication of the phone call at the end was that, like, it was not him. The killer is still out there, yeah. presumably in the attic, presumably about to walk downstairs. And, right. you know, she's about to get got. Yeah. Um, so at first I was a little like, okay, did I miss something? Like, did I... Did it reveal at some point between Peter dying in the end, did it reveal who the killer was and I just missed it and I was supposed to put something together? And so I Googled it and I realized that it's like, no, that's not the case. The It is left intentionally super ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And my take is, so one thing that kind of like we were talking about earlier, how it was just like, oh, this kind of like showing this textbook, like narcissistic, like, um, sort of abusive boyfriend being the villain like that's kind of progressive for 1974 Mm -hmm. i was a little i won't even say upset that he wasn't actually the the final like the final villain because i think there's some wiggle room in there for somebody to interpret that as oh well i guess he wasn't actually all that bad but oh, I don't right. think that's what the movie is getting at. Like, no. that, that was kind of my knee jerk. And But I think, like, I think the ultimate implication is, like, you know, it kind of walks through a pretty, like, like a pretty standard escalation of the violence that, like, is happening to, to the girls. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you talk in, like, situations, like, when we talk about society, we talk about how kind of violence escalates. And it starts with, like, it starts with jokes, and then it starts with people saying the things they were saying as jokes, but not really as jokes. And right. then it starts as threats. And then it becomes like physical violence. And then it becomes like, you know, it can escalate all the way up to murder. Right. And so that's kind of like, as the film was going on, it was like, it started with the lewd phone calls. And everyone was like, oh, ha, 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 like lewd phone call, like gross. And then they got more serious. And then they took it to the cops and the cops didn't believe them. Right. And then the boyfriend started to threaten physical violence so i was like okay this movie is like really showing that progression of violence and i think ultimately the kind of takeaway i was left with was that idea of like you know the cops might never believe you you know your boyfriend is also going to be like abusive and like you can you can get through all of these like you can quote unquote solve all of these problems or you can like get past all of these roadblocks and it's still fully possible that, yeah. like, you will just get murdered by a random stranger. <laughs> yeah. It's like you can do everything you can to, like, protect yourself. And I don't want to sound, like, paranoid or anything but, like that. Like, but, yeah. but I think I think that is, like, the ultimate implication of just, like, for women and for especially, like, girls like this, especially, like, young girls away at college. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think that the implication that, like, 
you can be as like quote unquote safe or quote unquote as cautious as possible. And like this world is still set up such that like violence can still get you in the end. And that's kind of a pessimistic approach, but Kate kind of like what you were saying earlier is it's just like that idea that like even just kind of like showing and depicting like that violence can be, can be, you know, um, I don't know what the right word is, but it can be like kind of revolutionary in like mm-hmm. revolutionary and validating to that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was my vibe. Yeah. I like, I like, I like that it's, it was like a subtle continuation of violence that kept happening against the girls <laughs> too. And then kind of like what you said and what Kate said, I did really like, not like, cause it's horrible, but when like the fact that they killed the girl first, who is like, the virgin, the like, you know, good one. <laughs> but then later in the movie, like Barb also dies, who is the one who is like, I just want to party. So like you get, there's really no, like you said, it's like violence can happen. It doesn't matter. It takes that like trope of like, oh, if you're like this, you'll survive. And then it also, like you said, doesn't subvert it because they're like, but if you're a party animal, you still die. So it's like a mix of that and then what you said of just like, it'll happen. It doesn't matter <laughs> who you are, what you do. Like, that's just how it is. And that right. is, I think, also what made it very um, scary. Like, yeah. there definitely were parts. Even though this movie was, like, hard for me, I think it was still, there were parts that really scared me. Um, yeah. I, I think one part that really did confuse me and maybe was the reason I really got lost was the the murder in the park part was was very drawn out and I did not know how it connected and I think that's why I got so lost was specifically that part because I I don't know I was like you never see the little girl obviously but I right. didn't know how it fed in I was like is this a separate murder like I couldn't tell and I think that's what lost me yeah I think the general assumption there is supposed to be like mm-hmm. He killed the little girl in the park, and then he went to the sorority house right. and got in the attic, okay. and now he has just, like, a group of people Basically. to murder. But mm-hmm. to me, it didn't seem like a very strong thread between mm-hmm. one type of victim and another, aside from just, like, women. <laughs> Anyone yeah, that was assigned right. female at birth must go. <laughs> must go. <laughs> so, I don't know. Like, to me, I can definitely see the critique of that. I would be really interested in hearing another take on, like, the importance of including that. Yeah. Because to me, it was more just about, like, dread and trauma than right. it was about mm-hmm. actually, like, tracing motivations like of the Like, connecting killer to the story. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I can understand that. And I think, if, like you said, if I heard another take, maybe I would feel a little, like, okay, I kind of get it. Because it did just feel, it almost felt like they filmed that part, and then they filmed, like, the other parts, like, within the house, and then they were like, oh, right, we have that part in the park. Let's put that in. It felt yeah. so, like, a jump yeah. for me that I was like, oh, okay, we're in the park now. Like, And yeah. it was really long, too, so I it took me out a little bit of the story with the sorority because I guess I wanted that to be the, the yeah. focus, and then it wasn't. But then I guess what you said, though. I feel like... Is that... Sorry, you... I was... Is it still part of it? So, yeah, that's my only qualm yeah. with it. It's like I was, I guess, confused. I so. think 
but it also like was used to further the plot because mm-hmm. like why are there a lot of strangers around the house suddenly because they're looking for the murderer oh right uh, the those child. guys were just like who right. the search party like the ram shit and like uh <laughs> why like how would they get characters from x place to y place okay. because there's a murder girl why would they now take this seriously because there's I a guess... dead body now right so okay. to me it felt right. very much like oh how do we make this happen dead child I guess, you know what, that actually kind of makes sense. Hearing it like that really helps, because then it makes sense of, like, why would there be so many people around the house, and why would it be not so unheard of to have a killer in your attic? It's like, well, there's lots of people running around. You just saw those guys who were like, hey, what's up? We're just hanging out at the search party. Stay inside. You'll be safe. And I, oh my God, when she closes the door and she's like, I'd rather deal with the killer. I, <laughs> Babe, you get your so wish. <laughs> I was like, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, and Kate, to your point, too, I think that, like, I I do feel like, I agree that it feels a little disjointed, like, that whole subplot, um, but I do think, kind of, like, to your point, it is kind of showing that idea that it's, like, you know, these girls have been uh, worried about this for a while now, and nobody takes it seriously yeah. until there is, like, until it is, like, fully too late, and there mm-hmm. is, like, a... Like, there is a, like, straight-up dead body. It's, like, yeah. not even, like, a, like somebody got attacked, somebody got threatened. It's, like, they were telling you this whole time, and no one took it seriously, especially the police, until, like, well, it was too late for somebody. Yeah. So, oh. and it yeah. also wasn't taken seriously by the police until a white man in a fur coat, so you know he's rich, went in and yelled at them and said, like, That's you have a dumb too. person. Like, why would you do this? And so, like, they – the sorority girls were not taken seriously by the cops until a man went in to yell and berate them until they were taken seriously definitely yeah that actually does help quite a bit because i was i was pretty raging about this before we started because i was like (laughs) i want to like this so bad but i was like it doesn't click in my brain it's like something just wasn't plugged in like i was like i don't get it but now hearing all of the connections i'm like that actually makes a lot more sense because one of the scariest parts for me or like not scariest necessarily but like most haunting part in the movie is when main character uh jess jess uh is in the park i believe it's jess is in the park and she like sees i i think she sees the body who who, one of the girls Hmm. sees the body then we get the father of the one girl who was missing he sees the body and then you get the mother runs up and then she so you get like these three people consecutively who are just seeing something horrible, but you don't see it. So it really just lets your imagination run wild. And right. that's the scariest part. For me, it was the most haunting part. Even though I didn't understand that plot at the time, I still was like, that's that's terrifying. Because yeah. like every one of their reactions is so different. Like hmm. Jess, if it's Jess, is very muted and like terrified, but very quiet. The father is the same kind of like, dread thinking about could this be my daughter then you have the mother who is like hysterical so it's like three reactions to something you don't get to see and it's very upsetting so to me watching the mother react because like her entire world comes crashing down in that moment like she had still like you have to hold on to hope like of course she did and then she saw that and everything just crumbled underneath her and then they did the same thing that they did in american world in london where she opens her mouth to scream and a phone rings I know. It's a phone. Oh, I love it. I was it. like, oh, I Mwah. hate that you did that. I love it. <laughs> um, they also have that that part, too, where they don't trust the mom, either. So I guess um, now that I'd like to watch this again when I don't have to take notes and I can, mm-hmm. like, just watch it. Because um, I, I really did like that part when they don't believe the mom, either. Yeah. When they're like, well, is it really that weird that she wouldn't be home? And she's like, yeah, right. she said she'd be home at noon. Like, yeah. I know my child. Like, stop telling me. 
So I'm starting to see the through lines a lot more. I do think, like, along the thread of, like, the cops not taking her seriously, I'm peeved mm-hmm. because it's always one cop that is the failure and not all of them as a unit. Because right. it's like, it's well, Nash is the one that didn't take it seriously. Nash was, like, the barrier between us and helping people. No, don't put this and, on Nash. <laughs> and they make, I mean, Nash sucks, but also. But also. <laughs> and so it's like they're able to push the blame onto one person instead of an institution. And instead of saying, like, this is a societal-wide issue that, like, men do not listen to women's pain or fear or trauma. And instead, they're like, well, Nash is really bad at this job, and isn't it funny that he doesn't know what fellatio means? <laughs> Everyone's just like, classic Nash. Yeah. It's like, no. <laughs> yeah, all right. I, I'm, you know what? I'm coming around. Oh, I'm starting okay. to be, like, a little less angry. Like, at first, I was like, I don't yeah. like it. Now I'm like, all right. I knew you two would be able to clear it up a little bit. Like... <laughs> Man, I love um, this movie, and that's why I was I'm, listening to you talk like before, and I was like, oh, this is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This is the reverse Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> I was like, I love that movie, and Kate was like, I hate it. <laughs> well, and I'll either be the peacekeeper between you two or the um, or like the, the scapegoat that you both get to attack, because I love okay. both of those movies. Oh, <laughs> I love both of those movies. I'm good, so now we're both vindicated in yeah. time. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> we're and both feeling good. <laughs> I've really come around on this one a lot yeah. more. I think I it wasn't... Because this is not like the fourth kind, where that movie is genuinely <laughs> fucking bad. No consistency. That movie made me more mad than like any movie. <laughs> so I started to worry. I was like, is this my new fourth kind? And, but then now that I'm hearing people talk about it, I'm like, I don't think it's the movie's fault. And I don't think it's necessarily my fault either. I think that I just got confused. And mm. I think that I needed someone to like give me a view that I just wasn't mm. seeing. So, because I did actually love everything else. The lighting in this movie was great. Oh. I really liked it. Yeah. We were just talking in the last episode that we did, which was 30 Days a Night, and I was talking about how, like, winter movies are usually just, like, really blue and very cool. And this one was so warm. And I was I know. pumped. Like, because <laughs> I was just telling Kate, I was like, oh, you don't see it very often. Like, you really don't get a lot of, like, winter movies that are warm that are also scary. They're either heartwarming or they're blue. Like Exactly. No, and I think uh, that's a really good point because, like, I mean – this sort of thing is kind of a dime a dozen nowadays in terms of like a oh my god like something terrible is happening at Christmas. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> it is that thing where it's like I do I I found myself thinking about that as well that like I really respected the choice that it was like it was a horror movie about a bunch of people getting murdered mm-hmm. but it was like lit and like the color was designed to look like a Christmas movie yeah. with like that that like warm orange throughout so yeah I, and I, it, I think it's a bold move too because like it could have just been weird but it really worked it made the right. sorority house itself feel very homey mm. so like it, it made you feel safe and like want to be there I feel like like I was like it felt very lived in too exactly so no, that's yeah, great. and there is that thing where no I mean I, I think to your point about like that thing of like it does feel so safe because we all know what like one that normally signifies in horror movies but two also just like what it feels like to be in like a warm cozy house in the yeah. winter it's like it does feel like you want to be there but then you consciously know yeah. that like this dude is in the attic exactly. like I as the viewer know that it is super unsafe here but like that and I think that like I think that like tension and that dissonance like really it adds a lot to the movie yeah it it was very odd but in a good way like it 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 felt very um 
con- you felt conflicted like the whole time where like I kept finding myself looking around and being like, oh, this house is like really nice. And then I was like, there's a man in the attic. Like <laughs> I right. kept forgetting about him and being like, this is nice. <laughs> and then it just wasn't because you do get a few like kind of more dark shots, obviously, when they're outside on the search party and everything but even then i mean they've got their candles and like there's like it's not as dark as other wintry movies so it felt very christmasy because even even gremlins i mean (laughs) we talked about that even that movie is blue as hell and they were just like we're gonna make it cold (laughs) like but it it does have some christmas lights but still this movie was interesting the lighting was oh so good in the sound design with those phone calls Ew! Mm. <laughs> I hated those phone calls in like a in a good way. Like they yeah. were so scary. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So unnerving. Ew. Um. Yeah, they were very like grainy because obviously it's on the phone, but at the same time, like you can kind of understand what he's saying. And oh man, I was just unsettled the whole time. Every time there was a phone call, and I could never tell if it was more than one person. And obviously, I think that's the point. Is I think it's supposed to be him murdering potentially someone in the attic right i mean it's him impersonating his like memories from childhood where he's uh, this is what i think it is and i think what like the sequels kind of pick up where they go into his backstory (gasps) but when he's talking about like billy what'd you do to agnes and it's like what your mother and i need to know is he did something to his little sister no yeah oh interesting yeah that's i didn't read super far into Mm -hmm. it because i was like that doesn't actually like, that's not canon in this movie. Right. And I didn't want to read anything from, like, the sequels because I wanted to stay focused. On this one, yeah. Yeah. That is... Yeah, I oh. I didn't even realize there were sequels. I didn't either. I thought but... they were just remakes. Well, I, I think that one of them might be a remake, but it goes really far into Billy. Okay. And then I think that one of them it might be a book that's to be released there I it read focuses there on her granddaughter jess's oh, granddaughter okay and, and i think that's a book you, though and when i google it there is a film called black christmas the night that billy came home mm-hmm. that is allegedly a sequel Ooh, yeah. um, now i'm interested okay according to imdb but it doesn't look like it was like a huge production but it does look like it exists Huh. Yeah, I don't get super into the sequels or the remakes. Like, as a rule, I just don't kind of right. fuck with them. <laughs> yeah. So, I like, when I was reading it, people were being like, and of course, you would know from this that Billy's backstory is like, this. What? And I was like, sure you do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, that, that is interesting, though. If that is the case, which I'm, if it is, that's terrifying. That's even, I don't say worse, but, like, yeah. very upsetting. Because they're like, Billy, what'd you do to he Agnes? He does say his and name then, quite a bit, yeah. Then he says, Agnes, don't tell them what we did. Ugh. Yeah. So I don't know if it's my creepy. interpretation is entirely shaped by what I read from what other people, like, extrapolated mm-hmm. from this movie, or if it's actually my interpretation of it, because I don't know anymore. Right. <laughs> if it's right. influenced by what I read. But to me, what's happening is that he is uh, reenacting scenes from his childhood. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. He he is very scary. I think not seeing him is just as scary because you see him. Do you see him a little bit? You see his eye. You see his profile. Okay. You see him in shadow. So yeah. that's terrifying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I find him to be a very scary killer because he's kind of he's very childlike. So it's very yeah very interesting. It it 
very much unsettled me. My one qualm, too, is that how come no one checked the attic? I will say this is one qualm that no one's going to correct for me. I, I Listen, you guys have picked up on a lot of things and made me like this movie, but I will not forgive them for not checking the attic. No, I, I, I <gasps> agree, especially okay. like... Because it's like that thing where it's like, especially too after like 24 hours, you would be yeah. like, okay, like turn this house upside down. That's, I was, never go to the basement either. And that doesn't become relevant until the end. But I like furious. when you're right. looking for your missing friend, you, you look at every single room in the house. Even if she can't fit in the crawl space, you look you there. check. Because you don't right. know. I was furious at, for a long time. Because let me just say, I'm notorious for missing things and just making shit up. So when we watched 30 Days a Night, I thought it was about zombies for like 20 minutes. So <laughs> <laughs> so when we, I was watching this movie, I thought the first girl that died was just in her room. So I was like, what the fuck? I thought that they just didn't check her room for like a day. And I was furious. Then I found out she was in the attic. And I was less furious, but still pretty <laughs> I think I was thinking about this the other day. It was like one of those shower thoughts. Mm -hmm. I think that the reason you thought that 30 Days of Night was going to be a zombie movie was because 28 Days Later is a zombie movie. That is actually very, yeah. Number Day Slash Night title. (laughs) Right. (laughs) This is fair. (laughs) I wanted to vindicate you. (laughs) I appreciate it. In your defense, I did watch a lot of the movie and still think, yeah, these are vampires. (laughs) These these are zombies. So okay, well I tried. You tried. <laughs> it's okay. I I have to be honest. Uh, but yeah, I, I still liked it a lot. It's just that one thing where I was like, just check the attic. If my daughter was missing, I'd be like, okay, fucking check the attic. Definitely, definitely. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I do like that you can see her face from the window. Yeah. That is terrifying to me. But also like. Wouldn't you see it? But also, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> if they're me, they wouldn't because I am very bad at looking up. I, to me, right. like, I will look endlessly for something and it'll be just above eye level. And you're like, well, and that's why gone. I never found it. <laughs> I never look up. <laughs> I think maybe this comes from the fact that I grew up in a haunted house that actually had that same window in our attic. And so when I was younger, I would look up that window because my my bedroom was connected to the attic stairs. So every day I left the house, I would look up and be like, any ghosts like <laughs> just make sure yeah just make sure so now whenever i see high windows i'm like just give it a glance <laughs> right no. so i would have saved the day in black christmas i would have been like this girl in the attic <laughs> but i wasn't there but that part is very scary the the, the cellophane thing creeps me out any any death that is like <laughs> with the mouth creeps me the crap out so yeah i mean it is a very good and i mean if you look up like the posters from this movie that mm-hmm. is like the image is it, and i mean it, yeah. it is effective sure especially because like they keep cutting back to it yeah it's they cut back to it it's a fucking lot. gnarly they cut back to it a lot with hearing billy kind of like wander around and then you really just see uh the the mother she's not a mother but the she's house mom the, the house the mom, house mom yeah. yeah you see the house mom in the background you never really get like a close look so it's very scary because you don't necessarily know exactly what happened to her but you know she's not doing well <laughs> she did right. she got hooked in the neck and to me that is the most unbelievable thing in this Ugh. movie to me this is where the science fails them <laughs> because the science isn't here he just like launches a hook and it was like it bounces off her face and she falls down like that's the <laughs> most that happens when this doesn't hook her in the neck <laughs> Anyway, nah. sorry. She doesn't have the strong neck that you know. No, mm, burly neck. <laughs> um, I did love the house mother when she pulls yeah. the liquor out of the toilet. I was like, oh yeah, there you she go. She just keeps pulling it out of every Everywhere. corner. There's another little fifth of whiskey stash. And yeah. She's always just a little annoyed. <laughs> I'm like, I get it. 
And she said, those girls would hump the Leaning Tower of Pisa if they could get up there. I died. (laughs) She's like, if they could get up there. And I was like, "Mm." she was great. I I was very sad. I wanted her to be like a character through the whole movie who's just bumbling and being like, I don't know where they are. Like, but then she unfortunately passes. But (laughs) I I loved her. I, oh, wow. Yeah. So I I think I've come around. I've come around. I, I, I'm on board besides the part where they didn't check the attic. (laughs) I think that if we had been involved, I would have insisted that they check every place, no matter how implausible, and you would have looked up very quickly. (laughs) I think (laughs) this is how we would have solved it. (laughs) Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wouldn't have, I mean, I don't know. I guess they had no real, like, reason to, like, they had no real reason to suspect she was in the house. Yeah, That's one of those things where it's like, it's like my sorority sister goes missing and like she was last seen in the house where I am. Okay, well like, guys, I'm going home for Christmas a day early. Like, see (laughs) you you in January. Like, goodbye. (laughs) So Caroline leaves. Kate checks everywhere and I just point at the attic and go, we got it. I didn't say I checked everywhere. I said I told everyone else to check everywhere. (laughs) Kate also leaves. (laughs) Yeah. I'd be like, make sure you call me after you check the basement. I'm checking in. Uh, I'm glad. We've really got our good roles here. I think Uh that works. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then I usually at this point, I guess we can choose our like scariest moment. If, if you know yours, Um, I think I know mine. I think I've got it. Mine was hard. I have two. One of them's like tension based and one of them's like, oh shit based. Yeah. It was tough. Yeah. I think, I think I probably have mine. All right. Okay. Kate, do you know your, do you want to go or do you want me to go? Or do you want Caroline to go? I want someone else to go. I don't want to go first. (laughs) I can go first. All right, all right. you can tell me if I'm wrong. Well, Um, no, it's your favorite thing. Why would it be wrong? (laughs) So I don't know that I would necessarily say, like, the scariest moment Mm -hmm. per se, but, like, the moment that just, like, when I think back to my viewing that is just, like, burned into my brain Mm -hmm. is, like, when he kills Barb. Um, Yes. Especially because he does it with her, with her glass unicorn like yeah. little sculpture because it's like that thing where it's it's getting the establishing shots around the room oh, and you my. see that unicorn like, oh, she as she's that. walking around and you're and like i don't know maybe i should have clocked that and been like oh that's what he's going to straight up murder her with but then like the scene goes on and she lays down and then when they're like wrestling in the bed and she's trying to push him off and it cuts back to that unicorn i just i just go like oh no like i know exactly what's happening and then that was a very effective moment oh. but overall i felt like a lot of, especially the end, honestly, from when Jess gets in the basement kind of through to the end, mm-hmm. I think that is also very, very, very good horror filmmaking, just like straight through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that Barb death is actually my favorite shot in the whole movie is the, the plain black background with like the really shiny, like, oh, that was my favorite shot. And you see the blood on the glass yep. and then the light yep. through the glass. Yeah. And like oh, her, her whole death is kind of like, it's like you see some of it and it's graphic and then some of it is through the crystal. So it's very unclear. That was a good good scary death <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah oh. and like that I, I i the camera work in this film is like deceptively really really good yeah. like there's the one shot there is one shot where like they're all in the um they're all in like the living room and the camera's kind of like moving around to do yeah. the scene mm-hmm. and then it somehow backs up through the window like through the oh. shut window and like pulls away from the house and it was one of those things where it's like it was so like it was such like a natural kind of like camera movement that at first I didn't like think anything of it but then I was like wait a second I was like we just we just did a tracking shot around the living room and now we're outside and like 
I didn't see a cut. I'm sure there had to have been one, but like it but was simulated very well. So good. the camera work in this is really, really solid. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked um, the, the shots that were just still and watching people walk around yeah. the house. I, I thought mm-hmm. that was great because you could just see him yeah. kind of live. And it's not a POV shot like the ones you get of Billy in like the attic. It, it's still like it's not a person. Like there's a great moment with Jess walking around the house waiting to answer the phone mm-hmm. of like, is he going to call? Are the cops going to track it? And she's kind of just walking around. And I'm like, oh, girl, you were so unsafe. Like, yeah, and definitely. I love that. When she's like zonked out because she's in shock and drugged, mm-hmm. um, it stays mostly on her for like minutes and like everything's happening around her but she is still the focal point of the shot yeah and so like for a while nothing is happening she is just laying there and you hear everything happening around her and you're like this is not good they're leaving her <laughs> so bad this is so bad yeah. and then you have like the outdoor shots that go like across the windows and then you have the scene where she's telling peter that she's pregnant but it starts outside mm-hmm. of the tower and you just see like the window but you don't see them and then you hear like oh, I'm pregnant. And then you go in. <laughs> like, I loved the camera work in Deceptively this. good. Like you said, yeah. it was like, now hold on. <laughs> when she sees the fire poker though, and it was like, boing. <laughs> it was a lot. Good. Um, I think for my like scariest moment, again, like you said, not, not scary necessarily, but it's the one that when I think about it, I'm like, I don't like it. Um, it's the one I already talked about with the seeing the body. That really, really stuck with me and creeped me out. Uh, of like mm. having... I, th- I still think it's Jess, but having one of the girls react to it and then having the dad and then having the mother and then her scream being cut and you never see the body. It really just lets your imagination go yeah. to places you're like, I don't want it to go, but it is like. Definitely. Uh, so yeah. that's my favorite. It was between that and then the the very beginning, the death with the, the cellophane and seeing her face. Claire always upsets me, but yeah. I'm like, I think that's just a given. That's yeah. just upsetting. <laughs> so. That's mine. Yeah. I have determined mine. So Good. it's when uh, Barb's already kicked it, unfortunately, Rip. R.I.P. Uh, and Phil, R. my like favorite. I fucking love Phyllis. Uh, I have, oh, yeah. I have no She was her. fun. She was really uh, fun. She's great. And she is dutifully going around the house and locking the windows and the doors. And Good she's just trying Phyllis. to do everything to make things safe. And so she's going to Barb's room to either check to see if the windows are locked or to check on Barb, or potentially yeah. she heard something. Like, someone mentioned, like, oh, she heard someone go into the room. And I was oh, like, I don't yeah. think she did hear someone, to, but I don't know. I might have missed it. But to me, it was her, and she's like, hey, are you awake? And she's checking on her sister. Like, she's just doing the right thing. And then the door starts to close, and she mm. looks over, and he's there. You don't see him. She sees him, and then it cuts. Like, Ugh. she's gone. She's dead. And it's like Ugh. this moment where it's like, she goes in to take care of someone, and then her slow realization when she's like, oh, I'm in danger. And then that's it. <laughs> that's so scary. Right. That's a good well, one. And I think, I think the fact that, like, both of your moments um, is all about, like, the implied violence, like, that's implied by the filmmaking, I actually, like, really love that and it it is that thing kate that you were kind of talking about at the beginning where it's just like it's like well is this like glorifying is it kind of trauma porn is it actually like speaking truth to power there and it is kind of that thing where it's like like you see you see claire die and then you see like the implied thing with the with the unicorn but you don't really see it like going in but you just kind of see like the knife so so to speak raise and stuff and it's like it really doesn't get 
all of that kind of like male gazy like fetishy of like the violence yeah. which I didn't really like put together until all three of ours were like well the scariest moment is when this person died and you don't really see it what yeah. you see instead is x yeah I didn't even think about that but yeah this, yeah. this- I didn't either it just like unlocked that like thought <laughs> as we as all three of us went around I was yeah. like well the way they really implied somebody dying here was super creative yeah it- yeah, that's they so interesting. Also don't have like the graphic depiction of women's bodies where oh, it's yeah. like it's not just like you don't see the knife, you'll just like you don't see tits, you don't see ass, like you just don't see a lot of gratuitous dissections of someone's body where you only see their physicality and you don't see their personality. So like the way that they cover like cinematography, whoa, I can't speak cinematography wise. Cinematography. Uh, <laughs> cinematography. Hello, <laughs> baby. I, I was trying to say cinematography wise. And there then halfway through I was like, this is too much. And then I was like, well, I've already committed. Uh, anyway, I think that it's really interesting. And this is, uh, it was in an article that I read where someone is like, this doesn't have the graphic depiction not only of violence but also of like women's bodies where it's like well now you must see the tits before michael kills his sister oh, why right. wouldn't you and so it doesn't have that i, I will admit i actually was worried about that when mm. i read because i didn't read anything about this until like the night before because i was like i just want to see what this is about so then i was like you asked me hey which one are we watching just to make sure so i was like i want to make sure that i'm also watching the right movie so i looked up the like little plot and i was like oh it's about like a sorority like i'm really worried because like cliche movies yeah. about a sorority is usually like what a sexy romp and i was like i don't know right. if i'm ready for that because i had messaged you and i was like it's about sorority sisters being stalked i didn't know that that was the plot like <laughs> so i was actually very pleasantly surprised i was like yeah. whoa <laughs> This is very interesting. This movie did a lot. This movie really surprised me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, does that mean it's time for tropes? It is time for tropes. Hell yeah. I'm excited for this one's tropes because it's such a weird movie. Okay. Yeah. We're going to start with... It like flirts with so many tropes it and like does. kind of does them all and kind of doesn't do any of them. So I'm, I'm interested yeah. to see what you've got. Couldn't pick up on them. So I was like, we'll see what Kate figures out. I'm going to save my favorite one for last. But oh, we're going to start with just the basic... We all live in America. We all do. <laughs> so this one takes a little bit of explaining. Uh, the most basic definition or explanation is that when placing a story in a culture you're not familiar with, mm-hmm. you basically just recreate your own culture and like put in some lines or visual cues that's situated in that foreign culture. So in this case, it was a Canadian movie made in Canada by Canadians. <laughs> and then the police station is filled with American flags. Is and it? It is? That's what people said. <laughs> I didn't even know. I didn't clock the flag. Sorry. (laughs) Can't clock the dick. Can't clock the flag. I never can. Yeah. But some people have also pointed out that, like, there are Canadian pronunciations of words and snowmobiles. And, yeah. And they would have no way of knowing we don't use those in Ohio. I know. They don't know. They don't know. They know. So, why would they even bother, like, setting in the U.S.? Well, sometimes Canadian TV shows and uh, filmmakers try to set them in a sort of any town America in the hopes that it will help it sell in the U.S. Because if it's not so like Canada, if there aren't like maple leaves everywhere, then maybe the Americans will like it more. (laughs) We notoriously, if it's got a leaf, I'm out. I'm out. I'm fucking out. (laughs) 50 stars are bust, you know? Uh, Oh, God, I hate this. I was like saying that. Uh, and then this can also overlap with the trope, Canada does not exist. <laughs> oh, no. Which I love as a trope. So it's different from Finland doesn't exist. Oh, different. Yeah, yeah. because that's real and Finland is fake. But uh, <laughs> So the trope Canada does not exist is very narrow. Uh, the trope is very specific. But the 
I'm just going to quote TV tropes because they say it better than I ever could. Quote, it falls into a bizarre situation where the American and Canadian partners each want to broadcast the show in their respective countries. Americans aren't going to tune in to watch something that's obviously Canadian without risking their audience, and Canadians won't show something that's obviously American without risking their funding. Therefore, the show has to avoid showing or mentioning anything that could place it in either country. So it's this (laughs) vague, like, nowhere land of (laughs) North America that's just vaguely there. That's wild. I I mean, I would have noticed, but... I guess that's true. Like when yeah, you, yeah. Know, you kept saying like, it's a Canadian film. I was like, is it? Is it? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. No. Well, and that was my thing too, is I didn't clock the, I didn't clock the American flags everywhere, no, but I, I knew either. it was a Canadian film. So it was one of those things where I was like, oh, I guess like I had the thought halfway through. I was like, I guess Canadian college is just very similar to American <laughs> yeah, college. Because I just assumed it took place in Canada. Uh, I was in a sorority in college and we had Canadian sisters come to yeah. visit and they were the sweetest fucking people ever. Like it was so great. <laughs> so they do exist. So they do exist. <laughs> I know that Canada's real. Okay. It's everything I know about Canada. That's oh. not, I know some other things. That's, that's wild. That's yeah. so funny. I so, didn't know. Yeah. So in this movie, they weren't just like trying to hide Canada. They were just like, what if this was any town America? Trying to sell it yeah. for both. I, that makes yeah. sense. Okay. And then mm. Twisted Christmas. This one is very straightforward. It's Christmas, something bad happens. Yeah. We've talked about like setting a horror at a usually happy time is a really striking juxtaposition. And especially with like the lighting where it's yeah. like, oh, look, Merry Christmas stab. Like, yay. Yeah. <laughs> And so, as TV Trope says, Christmas being the biggest celebration of love, family, and happiness, it can further increase a single character's personal misery if he experiences totally opposite emotions. Fair. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I'd really, buy that with this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really does do the, like, the opposite of that, because you've got the dad being like, I'd love to see my daughter for Christmas. Uh-huh. And they're like, no. <laughs> Oi. Misa, oh now the other one's screaming. Caroline, what are you doing to my cat? I don't know. Well, You've that's the thing power. is my cat, my cat has never been this good oh um, through a podcast oh. recording. So literally? I guess you guys got all the uh, the loud cat energy. I guess, because literally we have had three guests out and they've never made a peep. Mm-hmm. And then literally as soon as we started, they were like, we're just going to go wild. <laughs> Poor Our time is now. <laughs> oh, that was crazy. Okay. <clears throat> Last one. This is Unbuilt Trope. So... If you're not familiar with the timeline of slashers, one would think that this is a subversion of typical classical era slasher narratives. But Black Christmas is not specifically a subversion of those because it came before them. So it's an unbuilt trope. It isn't boldly refusing to follow the established slasher formula because there wasn't one yet. Yeah. So it's something that, like, in retrospect, when people are looking back, they're like, wow, like, this was really subversive. Like, they really flouted this trope or, oh, maybe they did this trope wrong. No, it came before the trope. Or it was the first iteration of the trope, and then other people refined the trope or expanded upon the trope. And uh, so it doesn't mean, like, this wasn't subversive, merely that there wasn't a subversion of a formula because it didn't exist yet. And so I think it's really interesting to talk about this within the canon of slasher films because it came before, like, most of the known slashers, and this could be seen as one of the first ones. And so people are like, wow, there's barely any blood. That's weird for a slasher movie. And I was like, you mean the ones that came after it? <laughs> yes. It was, right. Yeah. It's so, I, you yeah. know, what's that's funny because like when I watched it, I did think those things. Yeah. Where I was like, oh, it's so interesting. It's kind of like Halloween when really I'm like, oh, no, Halloween is like this. Huh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Halloween is kind of like Black Christmas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is so interesting. Huh. Yeah. I love well, Unbuilt and I, I, I read somewhere, too, that this movie taking place at Christmas is the reason why... 
Halloween takes place at Halloween Mm -hmm. because they were just like, they were trying to do a little bit of this formula, but Mm -hmm. obviously do their own thing. And they were just like, well, let's set it at a holiday. They've already done Christmas. I guess let's just do Halloween, which was you know, in retrospect, the smartest decision anybody has ever made while writing right. a film because how often does that movie get played at Halloween? And I just am so yep. curious as to how much money John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis get every I year on November first from Tommy those residuals. <laughs> she gets Tommy Lee Jones and to- and Jamie Lee Curtis confused. But just, just their, their names. names. Not who just they their are. names, right. But the other day you confidently said Tommy Lee Curtis, and she even abbreviated of TLC. She's like, you know, TLC. And I was like, who? <laughs> so sorry. Uh, it was the funniest thing. But yeah, that, oh, that's so interesting. I can't imagine yeah. how much money they fucking get around Halloween. It's got to be wild. It's yeah. got to be astronomical. Like, well, and yeah. And Kate, I'm glad that you brought that up because like, I don't know, this is kind of an ax to grind for another podcast, but it's like that trope you're talking about, like, and how this movie isn't subverting it because it doesn't exist. Or, like that trope didn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people like to lay that trope at the feet of Halloween. Yeah. And I can see why, but my argument that like I always make, and again, we can, we can grind this next year around <laughs> Halloween or whatever, right. but like... <laughs> A thing that I think both this movie and Halloween like do that's like important is they don't give the killer a real motive. Mm-hmm. Whereas like that trope, especially the trope of like, you know, like the sexual teens die and the virgin teens get rewarded with living. Right. I think that's really codified in Friday the 13th mm. where Jason has like a reason. It's like, here's why I went right. on the killing spree. Mm. And like, because uh, a bunch of teens were having sex when I guess it's his mom in the first one, but you know, right? It's like a bunch of teens were having sex and like partying when they were supposed to be lifeguarding me, and so I died. So like my vengeance is like wreaked on the people who like deserve it, and so I don't know. I I, I I always defend Halloween a little bit more than like some other people do in that regard because <laughs> Halloween was the first like not big budget, but like widespread, yeah, um, like movie that does that trope it kind of like catapults it into the public consciousness so like i like that you brought that up with this about how it's like it's not really subversive because it didn't it wouldn't even exist as something people could identify for like another five six ten years yeah yeah did we talk about that with halloween a little bit a little bit where people were like well halloween wasn't like that bloody or halloween wasn't really classic in this one it was like it was still building the genre like it was still yeah, building right. those tropes because i know that that was a big part of when we talked about halloween and we did it over halloween mm-hmm. we talked about how it was like people just hadn't done it like this before but that's because it there just weren't movies like this yet really like there weren't that many right so yeah what a good trope so interesting. I was so excited about that one. I, I, I love a good trope. I love when things can get meta. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, this has just been a really fun one to talk about. I was worried. I was like, what if I don't like, what if I ruin it? And then everyone was like, no, no, no we got you. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like uh, I was carried, like a little baby bird. Oh my God. Um, well, typically baby birds are not carried. They are pushed out of the nest. Oh, sorry. I feel like I was pushed by like a little baby bird. <laughs> yeah, that's better. Um. Uh, yeah, we can push you out of the nest of liking Black Christmas. Yeah, I can do sure, that sure. for you. I, I'm really glad because I truly was like, I don't want to rate this movie and be like, two. And everyone was like, bye. <laughs> I don't want to be that asshole. Uh, so now I'm like more confident now, um, which means that we do have to choose the oh rating God. scale. And I only have one idea. Okay. So if anybody else has some, some wild ideas, throw them out. My only idea was toilet liquor. So 
I like that a lot. Totally. I like that. It really stood out to me. Yeah. I just love that woman. My <laughs> only two were throwaway lines from the first 10 minutes. So like, <laughs> I'm, I'm all in on toilet I liquor. see one of them and I'm already on board. <laughs> it was gold-plated horrors because Barb is on the phone with her mom. And she's like, wow, mom, you really are a gold-plated whore, huh? I'm like, okay, <laughs> as we all talk to our mother. And then uh, they get the obscene phone call, obviously, and like the girls are talking to right. each other about it and then Barb's like oh no it's the Mormon Tabernacle Choir doing their annual obscene phone call and it's like <laughs> how many Mormon Tabernacle Choirs would give this what a mouthful <laughs> but I do like it <laughs> um yeah did you have any to throw out Caroline any that stood um, out the only one that I could come up with was um phone calls coming from inside the house Ooh, uh, that's a good classic one yeah, though it is. Shit, that one's Because that was the thing, too, that, like, I had always, like, obviously we've all heard that story at, like, a sleepover or, like, a, right. like around a campfire or whatever. But, like, in terms of movies, that's always attributed to when a stranger calls. Yeah. yeah. And that doesn't come out until 1979. So, like, I straight up, like, when they got to that scene and they're, like, the calls are coming from inside the house, I was like, no fucking way. I was like, no, they're not. Are you kidding me? What? And I was like... <laughs> And so I like I like looked it up because I was like, why does everybody say that was from When a Stranger Calls when it's clearly from Black Christmas? <laughs> mm-hmm. But I guess When a Stranger Calls is like that is like the one conceit of the film. Like I don't think any other people are even dying. I think <laughs> she's just getting the scary phone calls, so maybe it's yeah. a little bit more important. Okay. But still, I I feel like a fool because in my head I was like everyone always attributes it to Scream, and <laughs> now I'm like. <laughs> I don't think that's even true. It's not even in there. It's not in there. <laughs> it's not, is it? It's not. I, okay, I think I'm going to do another thing. Help, help me out. Yeah, Make me look better so than I am. I think in Scary Movie, where they're lampooning a bunch of different I think horror they films, do say it. they start out with a very scream sequence, and then there's also a call coming okay. from inside the house. I feel better now, because right. I was like, I know in Scream like Okay, but no, it's definitely when a stranger calls that people are like, that's who did it. Black when Christmas. that line was said in this movie, I put it in all caps. I was freaking out. I was like, it happened, it happened. Right. I was right. so happy, but also, ter- I was like, that's terrifying. But also, like, <sighs> they really did it. It's like the scams. They did it. <laughs> um, I think we should do that one. That's a classic. Yeah. I love it so much. Yeah. So calls uh, coming from inside the house. Yeah. How many calls coming from inside the house do you okay. get it? Um, so usually we just do a, a nice three, two, one, and then we throw up how many, you know, out of five, not 10, that you want to give it. If you want to give it a half. That's just a little knuckle. Just one digit? Okay, I love it. Just a little digit. So um, I'm ready. I'm ready. Ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, so three, two, one. We oh, can't see Caroline's hand. hand. There, there it is. is. There it is. <laughs> okay, okay. I saw like the tip of one finger. I was like, I'm oh, sorry. One? I, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I, I don't like to have my um, I don't like to have my camera visible on my end. Um, yeah, yeah. So I did not know how high I needed to hold my hand. <laughs> just like, just like uh, okay, okay. No, yes, four. That's good. Four. So you did four. Okay. You did five, five and yeah. I get a nice three. Wow, that's well rounded. Yeah. Three and a half. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll go first because I okay. gave the lowest, so I can justify this. I'm only doing three and a half because I think I need to watch it again, which we've done this before with another Ooh. one, where I was like, I liked it. I just think that I need to watch it focus a little bit more because I found myself getting a little lost. But hearing you both talk about it, I was like, shit. Okay, I think it is really good, and I just need to give it a shot. So three and a half for now, because like you said, deceptive camera shots. They're beautiful. Mm. The lighting is so cool. And, uh, you know, it was it was the original. It's doing some good shit. So yeah. three and a half. I really enjoyed it. <clears throat> now that I've 
Now that I've come around. Huh? Now that the baby bird's Definitely. Yeah. Now that I hit the ground. <laughs> now that I hit the ground, I'm ready. <laughs> uh, I can go next. Can go? So I gave it five, which I am generally fairly generous with movies. I don't know. I don't like to be mean. It's not mean to have an opinion. I just am weird about it. Uh, I don't know. Okay. So I love the camera angles. Mm-hmm. I like the shots. I think that they did a really good job with like sound design. Yeah. And I know this wasn't intentional. It was just a byproduct of being in the 70s, but the film grain? Film grain's great. The film grain was great. Uh, Love film grain. (laughs) I do love it. I do love it. Yeah, and I loved how they developed each character a little bit. Like, it wasn't like everyone had an in-depth backstory, but they did give them separate personalities and motivations and cares. And I really loved how they gave Jess, like, a very mature outlook where Peter is being a child and an abusive man and she is just like i would like to have a conversation so if you want to talk to me about it like adults we can do that and i'll wait and it's just she's very clear in her communication and i feel like we don't get to see that in a lot of films yeah because it's usually very patriarchal like oh women just cry all the time and they can't like speak or oh they're very passive aggressive and just like bitch because they do talk like that and they're like and so Jess is just very straightforward. Like, she communicates very well. And then when the cops are like, oh, well, you have to tell us about, like, what you were telling your boyfriend. She's like, I want you to understand this is very hard for me. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. And so I really liked that character development. I think what I really enjoy is looking at it in the context of the time. And so while I have my qualms with it. Right. <laughs> Uh, I also just really enjoyed it. And it was something that, like, I want to watch it again so I can pick up on the lighting because I'd never see that the first time. <laughs> uh, I want to see some of the camera shots that y'all talked about. I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Yeah. That's good stuff. Those yeah. are good reasons. Good Thank reasons. Thank you. Okay. All right. No, yeah. And I mean, I, I went for, which, like, is, again, pretty arbitrary. Like, I don't assign that, like, a ton of, like, how am I going to rate this? But, I mean, right. I really liked it. And I was really impressed with it, um, both on, like, a technical level and also just, like, like what we've talked about. Like, it certainly isn't perfect. And it's, it's pretty, you know, I not to be reductive, but it is, like, pretty clearly, like, written and directed by two men. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> yeah. like pretty but still like pretty good like they kind of get an a plus for 1974 you know what i mean and it's like it's like it's it's there are some moments where it's just kind of like okay that's a little like maybe like heavy-handed or whatever but like i feel like they never really problematize their own thing like they don't really ever contradict themselves and like their ethos and i just really think that like visually the film's really like engaging um mm-hmm. like i i always struggle because like the word that came to mind was fun and it's like it's not really fun because it's like disturbing and like upsetting <laughs> but like it's it's very engaging and like that like that film like that film nerd part of my brain like does kind of light up whenever i see a great shot i'm just like oh i like that that's fun i'm like no it's supposed <laughs> to be scary like like this isn't fun but um yeah and i just feel like for a movie um, of its era like I was pretty thrilled with it and I thought it still played pretty well today yeah. so I was I was very ready to come into this one and kind of be like okay well like you know it's 40 years old so like I guess for the time like I can find reasons to appreciate it but like I just liked it like I just thought it was like pretty <laughs> yeah. good top to bottom yeah 
Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I was worried. When I when yeah. it was 1974 and it was in like sorority, I was like, oh boy. Oh, <laughs> I did not expect the movie that we watched. Like when I was looking it up, I was looking up the content warnings to write like the captions and stuff. And then I was like, okay, 74 sorority girls. Like you said, I was like, I really expect like balls to the walls, slasher, blood everywhere, like just, gratuitous just nudity. Had to be tits. Had like, to be. There, I thought there no. were going to be a yeah. lot of tits. There were a few. There were no tits. No tits. Uh, but yeah, no, it was not at all what I expected. And I think maybe that also factors into how I rate it because I had yeah. low expectations. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Of course. <laughs> As but, you should. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that was, so, that was it. I really, I really liked it yeah. more than I, more than I did when I, I started talking. So Me I'm, too. I'm very happy about that. Yeah. Like, I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we talk about a movie and I'm like, you know what? It was good. Yeah. No, yeah. I, that happens, that happens a lot on our show too, is we'll like come in, like one of us will come in with questions and, and like, mm-hmm. as we talk about it, like as you, as it kind of clicks, like you can talk yourself, I don't want to say talk yourself into liking a movie because no, that sounds but... like, but when you get those questions answered and you kind of like think about it and you kind of voice like where you're coming from, things kind of click into place in a way that I find really yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. It is nice to watch something with more intention because at yeah. first I'm watching it and I'm confused, but now if I watch it again with the thought of what you both have said and what like you took from it, um, I have that in mind. And mm-hmm. now I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes more sense than what I was thinking. Huh? So I totally get that. It's really nice. I love when we do a movie that I'm not enjoying. Uh, and then at the end, I'm like, you know what? I actually have come around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen often, but. Oh, man. But yeah, uh, I think that's. That's 12 uh, and a half phone calls from inside the house. 12 and a half phone calls. That's a wow. lot of fucking phone calls. <laughs> that's a lot of phone calls. Like we said in the beginning, I don't even want one. <laughs> I do not want one phone call. Do not call me. Mom uh, can call me. Mom can, can call me. <laughs> that's that's really all I got. Yeah. Um, she doesn't listen. She doesn't like horror. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah, so, and then um, usually I think we're just going to do like our little outro. Like we'll do it separate. Yeah. But um, if you have stuff you want to plug first. Oh, sure. Before we say goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, like, thank you guys for having me on. Um, this thank is really you fun. So much. And thank you. Oh yeah. No, I mean like, this is what I like to do as well. And especially with horror, I don't get the opportunity to do it as much as I would like to. Um, but I am, um, I'm co-host of a show called How Have You Not Seen? You can find us online um, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find us on Twitter, which is like my main place where I yeah. hang out and talk film um, <laughs> at H-H-Y-N-S pod. So that's like How Have You Not Seen? H-H-Y-N-S pod. And you can find us pretty much wherever. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook too. We did launch a Patreon as well, but I'm not going to try to pitch your listeners who have never listened to us to follow us on patreon no. but it's a great podcast so and thank you our thank listeners you. if our listeners like this podcast they'll love yours so 100 percent. yeah um, very very similar casual vibes but yeah and i mean um i won't plug my own personal twitter because that's where that's where i do most of my like film engagement at but if mm-hmm. you go to our podcasts uh twitter my twitter is linked there and you can find me so yeah Highly recommend. We've been looking forward to talking to you for so long. Oh, yeah. I kept telling Kate, I was like, Caroline just knows so much about movies. I'm so excited. Like, I was like, you're going to love it. It's going to be so much fun. Well, I so, really appreciate that. And so yeah. if you guys ever, if you guys ever need um, a guest, like, please hit me up. I'm oh, always, would always be happy to come back. 
anytime. Yes, we would absolutely. love it. And uh, sure. yeah, definitely check out Have You Not Seen. It's mm. so fun. I I love it. <laughs> there are so many yeah. movies that I haven't seen, and I was like, oh shit! Like, <laughs> I have, oh, how have I, I not guess, seen it? Genuinely? Yeah. yeah. Would I you mind if I? Would you mind if I like give like a quick little like pitch of like what it oh, is about? Because I realized yeah. I did not say it. So yeah, yeah. Um, each week, me and um, my one of my best friends, Carson, um, who we met because we were huge film nerds in college, and we worked together, and we frequently got yelled at for getting off task at work because we were (laughs) in the back talking about movies um each week we pick one of our favorite movies that the other one hasn't seen and we start the episode without us having seen it and we do like a 10 to 15 minute kind of like introduction where we ask Mm -hmm. like what do you know about this movie like what do you think is going to happen etc etc and then we go and watch the movie and we come back and we do like kind of what we've done here where it's like a little bit more of a deep dive into it once one of us has now seen it so I mean it's really fun for me because every week I get to watch a new movie and also every week I get to um make Carson watch another movie so it's it's (sighs) it's a pretty fun time and it's all about just kind of like you know, that love of movies and being like, well, like, I love this, but I'm no expert. So let's, let's try to become an expert along the way. Uh, That's such a good premise, too. Because like, like you said, getting to watch a movie that you love, but also one you've never seen. Ah, chef's kiss. A good week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So good. Uh, Yeah, definitely check it out. I love it. It's great. If you like us, you'll definitely like them. They're great. So, uh, but yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. This yeah, was a thank blast. Thank you guys. Uh, this, was, we'll... this was a blast. Yeah, now I'm glad I've seen Black Christmas. Because now I, I can make Carson do this next year. Oh, hell yeah. Thanks, thanks, thanks. All right. I don't know why okay. I did that. It just felt right. I was um, about to start talking and then nope. Nikki. <laughs> I had to give you a woo real quick. That was great. Um, that was great. Oh, it was so fun having Caroline on. She's great. Yeah. Caroline's amazing. Everybody go listen to How Have You Not Seen. It's mm. so fun. Uh, I, I love it. And also just she knows so much about film. And I was so happy that she joined us because I was like, yes, this is good. <laughs> like, <laughs> I need someone to tell me <laughs> about movies. Um, so that was great. And thank you again, Caroline. Yeah. That was amazing. Uh, but yeah, that wraps it up. So now yeah. we can do our little outro. Yeah. So we're done talking about Black Christmas 1974 for now. For now. For we, now. We'll keep going. We'll keep going. If not, no. No, no. <laughs> no, we, we said enough. <laughs> if you enjoyed your time with us, we would really appreciate it if you'd rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us and it's just really cool to see what you say. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go With It. On every Wednesday, we'll post the movie for the week as well as where you can find it. Mm-hmm. And then you can check out our extended show notes on our website, JustGoWithItPod.com. Or maybe even take a look at our Patreon at Patreon.com slash JustGoWithIt. Check it out. Yeah. It's good stuff. <clears throat> and we'd like to take this opportunity to thank our patrons. Oh, this list. Okay. You got it. I love them so much. I need to do good for them. Okay. Kim Kelly, Neher Will, Rachel Kelsey, Sula Tim, Beth, Kayla, Meg, Katie, Morgan, Brady, Kenny, and Darby. Woo! Nobody can see it, but every time you do it, I dance. Yeah. I was like, I do a little dance every time. I'll do it for you. you. I'm doing it for you, patrons. (laughs) For you, Garfield. (laughs) Also, I'm not going to announce it. Oh, God. But every time we have a guest, I have a tradition. And it has not happened yet where no one has broken the curse. I wear something specific every time we have a guest. And if they don't mention it, 
I still have to wear it, wear it, it for the next time. guest. So yeah. congrats to our next guest. Uh-huh. I'm still wearing it. Kate loves it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like he's like, man, this sucks. And I was like, you chose this. I was like, no one told me. No one you made this a tradition. This. I just, just it happened once and then it yeah. happened again. And I was like, well, yeah. I guess this is my life. So gotcha. congrats, everybody. I'm still wearing it. I won't say what it is until they mention it. Uh-huh. Okay, sorry. Continue. How dare you? I'm sorry. The intro and outro music was created by Anthony Roccozella, and the cover art is by your very own Nikki Solomon. Yeah, you just made fun of me, and then you had to be like, good job. Oh, you know, I was like, god damn it, I have to come around this. I love it because no matter how angry you get, at the end of the, every episode, you do have to say, oh, uh, that was made by Nikki Solomon. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I can I can put shade on it. It was made by your very own Nikki it Solomon. Was, she did make it. She made it, I guess. <laughs> I love how you'll just wear anything. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> well, there has, I think it's a universal yeah. constant that we have to reference John Mulaney in every episode. It's happened on accident every time, yeah. so probably. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Speaking of, I've got street smarts. That has nothing to do with this movie. I just think that I would survive. Okay, let's talk Much about, like Jumanji. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk worried. about Jumanji. We're going to talk about, we're going to cover Jumanji just so Nikki can talk about this. I'm not worried. I think that I could beat Jumanji easily. Just roll fast. I'm not worried. Out of nowhere, a text from Nikki. I think I could beat Jumanji. <laughs> and then the next text was, I'm not worried. <laughs> yeah. So much like this movie, I'm just not worried. I'm because not I would worried. see the girl in the window immediately. Yeah. And I'd go, girl in the window. Girl in the and window. I'd solve the crime. Yeah, obviously. Street smarts. Uh, yeah, there you go. It's solved the crime. Bye. Black Christmas is done. Bye. Wrap up the episode. Doesn't matter. It's done. Okay. I'm not worried. We don't need anything else. I'm not worried. <laughs> <laughs> Fire.